right, well, welcome to Living Hope Church. Welcome to those of you joining us online. Um, today we're continuing in our series, Summer in the Psalms, and we're going to be in Psalm 32 if you would like to uh, head that direction. Um, Psalm 32 is such a great passage of Scripture because of the honesty and bluntness in which it addresses the destructive nature of sin, but also the totality of forgiveness offered to those that will confess, repent, and turn to God. Perhaps no passage in the Bible as directly addresses our uh, spiritual condition, the deadly consequences of sin, and the completeness of forgiveness through Jesus. And so if you're new to church and church vocabulary, sin is a word that we're going to talk about a lot throughout this sermon. And sin is anything that we do that goes against God. Sin is when God says, live this way, act this way, or think this way, and we say, no, I'm going to live my way instead. Sin is when we exalt ourselves to the role of God instead of worshiping the one true God. Sin is when we place idols, uh, any pursuits, any people over God. And the Bible tells us that all have sinned. And when we sin, we fall short of the glory of God. And our sin separates us from God now and for eternity. And what the Bible tells us and what we are going to see today is that our sin is a big deal. And it's important for us to see and understand that we are in sinners in need of a Savior. We cannot understand the depth of the grace, the forgiveness, the love of God until we understand the extent and the offense of our sin. J. Wilbur Chapman was a Methodist evangelist in the 19th century in Australia, and he was accused of spending too much time talking about sin. The advice given to him by one of his members was, we do not want you to talk so plainly as you do about sin. If our boys and girls hear you talking so much about sin, they will more easily become sinners. Call it what you want, but do not speak so plainly about sin. The minister then got up from his desk and brought back a battle of strychnine that was marked rat poison. He said, I see see what you want me to do. You want me to change the label. Suppose I take this poison label and replace it with something milder, such as essence of peppermint. He then said, the milder you make the label, the more dangerous you make the poison. And so Psalm 32 is going to speak clearly and boldly about our sin and the consequences of sin. David's not going to water down the label because he knows from experience the destructive nature of sin as well as the complete and undeserved forgiveness that God offers to all that will repent and turn to him. So we're going to talk straight about sin today, but also straight about the hope that we have in Jesus. So let's read Psalm 32 and then begin to unpack it. David writes, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. But then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous, seeing all you who are upright in heart. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. Uh, Lord, we thank you for just the truths 
that are throughout it. And God, I pray that as we walk through this, uh, this psalm, Lord, that you would open just our hearts uh, to what you have for us, Lord, that you would help us to be aware of any uh, sin that we might be living in, Lord, that you would give us the courage to repent and turn that over to you, Lord. God, we thank you that, that when we confess, that when we turn to you, there is confidence that we are forgiven. Not forgiven in part, but forgiven completely and totally through Jesus and the blood he shed on the cross. So God, I pray that you would just open our hearts and our minds to where, uh, where you would have us, where you would reveal yourself today. God, we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. So before we can dive into this psalm, we have to understand kind of the context in which David is writing. And this psalm reflects a time in David's life when he was the king of Israel. In 2 Samuel, there comes a time where he sends his troops off to do battle with the Ammonites. But on this occasion, he decides to stay behind. And during this time, while he is behind, he sees a beautiful woman. And although he knows her to be married to another man, he decides he wants her and has an adulterous affair with her. This is all in 2 Samuel 11. But instead of humbling himself and confessing his sin, David uses his power as king to try to cover up his sin. He sends Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, to the front lines of battles and has him intentionally killed. And for over a year, David lives with this secret sin, keeping it covered up. And it causes him to have a guilty conscience, as you would hope. He becomes emotionally distraught, physically ill, and mentally troubled. In 2 Samuel 12, God sends the prophet Nathan to David. And Nathan approaches him and he tells a story of two men, one rich man and one poor. He said one man had a whole flock of sheep and the other just one little lamb. Without warning, the one man with many sheep took the lamb from the poor man. The Bible says when David heard this, he was filled with anger. And he said, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. When he said this, Nathan drops the mic and he says, you are the man. Exposed in his sin, David confessed, I have sinned against the Lord. David knew that in his sin he deserved to die. He knew the toil his sin had taken on his life. And yet when he confessed his sin, the Lord forgave him and restored his life. And so this, this psalm tells the story from David's perspective of the de destructive nature of sin, but also the incredible grace and forgiveness available in God. If you notice, your Bible likely uh, says a psalm of David and has the word maskil written next to it. This means that this psalm was written as instruction to teach the people. David recorded his experience to teach the people, to teach us of the danger of sin, the importance of confession, and the completeness of forgiveness. So let's, let's see what David instructs and teaches. He begins the psalm in verses 1 and 2 by talking about the, the blessing of the completeness of forgiveness. Verse 1 reads, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. In Hebrew, this word blessed is written in the plural to emphasize the, the grandiose nature of our forgiveness. We are not just forgiven a little, but we are abundantly forgiven. We are completely forgiven. God doesn't forgive us of our sin, but hold on to it in the back of his mind to bring it up later. But we are abundantly and completely forgiven. And so that's our first point. God offers abundant and complete forgiveness of sins. You know, in our, in our, when we forgive one another, we often say you're forgiven. But we remember it. We hold on to it, don't we? It's quite possible we could bring the offense up in an argument or in a time where it would help our cause. But David says that's not how God forgives. Those that confess and turn to him, he forgives completely. 
In Psalm, 1, 1, Psalm 103, David writes, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. God's forgiveness is complete. How abundantly blessed are those that find their refuge, their hope in him. Again, this is not how we forgive in our personal lives. This is not how we forgive in our society. So it's, it's hard to understand and grasp the complete forgiveness of God. In our culture, a bad record sticks with you even after you pay the price for them. A criminal record will stick with you for life and can make future employment difficult. A bad driving record in the past leads to high insurance premiums in the future. A bad credit record sticks with you for years and can make buying a house or even getting a credit card a challenge. We are not quick to forgive in our society, and it surely isn't complete. One of my favorite movies of all time is the movie, uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And there's a time in this movie where Delmar, one of the characters, is baptized and he's, saved, and he's saved. And Delmar comes out of the water and he says, that's it, boys, I've been redeemed. The preacher's done washed away all my sins and transgressions. They dialogue on, but Everett, the leader of the group, finally says, that's not the issue, Delmar. It may have made you square with the Lord, but the state of Mississippi is a little bit more hard-nosed. But we struggle to embrace and understand the complete and abundant nature of God's forgiveness because that's not what we experience in this world. But David assures us that if we have been forgiven by God, it is complete. The record is clean. The transgression has been removed as far as the east is from the west. When God forgives, he forgives completely. He cleanses the heart. It is no longer dirty. It is no longer heavy. He takes all of our regrets and shame. So if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've been forgiven, then live in that freedom. The forgiveness is complete. It is total. It is removed. Your heart is clean. You don't need to walk as though you have a record that pursues you. Walk in the freedom of God and let that freedom overwhelm your heart with gratitude. Your sin was real. The consequences dire, but through Jesus, your forgiveness is complete and total. So David celebrates. He boasts about the blessed nature of his forgiven heart. But then he remembers the darkness and heaviness of his sin. So that's our second point. The burden of unconfessed sin is heavy and it is dire. A forgiven heart is, comp- a heart is forgiven completely. It is set free by God. But a heart that walks and lives in unconfessed sin, as David did, is burdened. It is heavy. It is sapped of its energy. David writes in verses 3 and 4. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. David, now forgiven, looks back and he hopes to instruct us not to make the same mistake he made. He remembers the pain, the weight, the burden his unconfessed sin had on his mental and spiritual state. In our culture, we often praise sin, or at the very least, we minimize the consequence of sin. But David here reminds us that unconfessed sin is weighty, it is oppressive, it is dire. Charles Spurgeon said of this verse, God's hand is very helpful when it uplifts, but it's awful when it presses down. Better a world on the shoulder like Atlas than God's hand on the heart like David. Unconfessed sin weighs on our heart. But it also creates barriers in our relationship with God. We can't serve God and serve the temptation or the sin that we are living in. 
In Matthew 6, 24, Jesus gives the specific example of money, but I think the principle would apply for any sin that we are living in. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus says we have to choose who our master will be. Will we worship God or will we worship money? And if money's not your temptation, then fill in the blank with your idol, with your sin of choice. Fill it in. You can't serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and your pride. You can't serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and drunkenness. You can't serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and sexual immorality. You can't serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and your comfort. You can't serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and gluttony. You can't serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and your selfishness or righteousness. You can't serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and your wrath. You get the picture. You can't serve God while also being a slave to sin. When we are a slave to sin, when we are living in unconfessed sin, we feel the weight of that sin. But worse, it hurts our spiritual health. It hurts our relationship with God and it limits our ability to worship and serve Him. Something I never really thought of before this week was the fact that not only did David's sin wear him down, but David's sin caused him to waste a year of his life that he should have been serving God. When we are living in sin, not only does it hurt us, but it leads us to waste our life on pursuits that are not worth it. It distracts us from the things of God, from His mission and His purpose for our life. Because when we are living in unconfessed sin, we like David, we sin like David, it often leads us down the same road it led David. When David was living in unconfessed sin, it led him to lie about it. In his case, it led him to murder or, or to commit more sin to cover it up. It led him to hide and pull back from the things of God. And we do the same thing when we sin. When we are living in unconfessed sin, we lie to cover it up. We sin to cover our sin. We pull back from God, from His Word, from His church, because we don't want to feel the guilt and the weight and the shame of our sin. Sin leads us to sin. And it always leads us away from God and from His purposes. Sin leads us to waste our life trying to keep track of our lives as opposed to serving God. One of my favorite TV shows, you're getting all my favorite movies and TV shows. One of my favorite TV shows of all time is the show Seinfeld. And if you've ever watched Seinfeld, a number of il episodes illustrate this through the life of George Costanza. Often the episode begins with George telling a little lie to get himself out of something or to make himself look better. But then as the episode goes on, the lies get bigger and bigger as he tries to cover his first lie and keep track of his ongoing lies. It, of course, almost always ends in disaster for poor George, but that's what unconfessed sin looks like in our lives. It grows, it takes over our lives, and for the Christian, it wastes our days. In David's life, unconfessed sin leads him from God, from productivity and vitality for God to drought and oppression. In 1 Samuel 13, 14, David is called a man after God's own heart. But now in 2 Samuel, we not only see him sin, but his unconfessed sin leads him to cover it up, to lie, and to murder. Unconfessed sin always leads to destruction. And none of us are immune to the temptation of sin and the temptation to hide in our sin. If David was susceptible, we too are surely susceptible to the temptation of sin and the temptation to hide and waste away in our sin. We see the anguish of unconfessed sin is real. 
David says, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. From vitality to stripped of strength. Unconfessed sin is serious and it strips us of our ability to serve, to invest, to make an impact for the kingdom of God. Unconfessed sin distracts our energy from our purposes, from our purpose and missions to the purpose and mission of covering our tracks. It waylays what God has called us to do. Unconfessed sin must be dealt with. It must be confessed and it must be turned over to God. Last thing I want us to see on this, this point is that unconfessed sin is indeed serious, but the heavy hand of God is not a burden, but a blessing. Guzik, in his commentary, writes, David's dryness and misery were actually a good thing. They demonstrated that he was, in fact, a son of God, and that God would not allow him to remain comfortable in habitual or unconfessed sin. One who feels no misery or dryness in such a state has far greater cerns for time and eternity. If you are a follower of Jesus and you are living in unconfessed sin or habitual sin and you are feeling the heavy hand of God, if you have grown dry and weary, that is God's grace on your life beckoning you to confess and return to Him. That is God beckoning you to give Him your sin and experience His forgiveness. God loves you and He is pursuing you with that hesed, that covenant grace-filled love that we saw last week and He is calling you to return to Him. The heavy hand of God is not a sign that He has turned His back on you. But instead, the heavy hand of God is a sign that he loves you and he desires for you to return to him. The best example that I can think of this from my life, think of for this from my life is that of a coach. A good coach doesn't hold you accountable or push you to be better because they don't like you. But instead, a good coach pushes you to do your job, to train, to get better because they care about you and they believe in you. Often students will mistake a coach pushing them and holding them accountable to believing the coach doesn't like them. But that's the opposite. As a coach, I push those I believe have the most potential. It's those with no future that you allow to ride out the season and just have a good time. We tell players all the time that if a coach stops holding you accountable and pushing you, that's not a good thing, but that is a sign that they have given up on you. In the same way, the heavy hand of God is not a sign that he has forsaken you, but it is a clear indication that he loves you and he wants what is best for you and he desires for you to return to him. For the Christian, unconfessed sin distracts us from our relationship with God, and it creates dryness and distance in our relationship. For the non-Christian, unconfessed sin separates us from our God that created us and loves us. It creates separation today, and if we don't ever repent, it will separate us from God the rest of our days and into eternity. We can't cover our sins even if we try. And we shouldn't try because we have a loving Father that waits for our return. And the good news is as long as we are living, God waits for us to repent. He waits for us to return to him, to trust in Jesus' work on the cross, and he is faithful to forgive. And then we get a transition. Between verses 4 and 5, your Bible likely contains the word selah. And we don't know exactly what that word means, but most scholars agree it indicates a rest or a pause. And this is such an appropriate place for a rest and a pause because everything changes for David when he recognizes his sin in his conversation with Nathan, and then he turns to God and repents. The whole direction of David's life and the whole tone of the psalm changes between verses 4 and 5 when he confesses his sin. Let's read. It says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So our next point is confession leads to freedom and forgiveness. 
The solution to the guilt, the shame, the weight of our sin is not to cover it up, but instead the solution is to take it and cast it on God. And as we cast or confess our sins to God, it opens the door to His forgiveness through the blood of Jesus. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses, his, confesses and renounces them finds mercy. In our sin, we need a Savior. We need Jesus. Only Jesus can cover up your sin and make you right with God. David's confession did not earn forgiveness of his sins, but it opened the heart, his heart, the door to receive it. For David, this happened in his conversation with Nathan. Nathan addressed his sin. He let David know that he was not successful in his cover-up. Through that, David recognized his sin, was honest with himself and his sin, and that led him to confession and restoration. With God, it's the same pattern for us. The first step of forgiveness is the recognition that we have sinned or that we are living in sin. So if you're here today and you feel the weight of your sin, that's a good thing. Now you need to confess, repent, and receive God's forgiveness. And my prayer for the rest of us, for those of us sitting through this psalm and in ignorance of our sin, that God would reveal it and He would give us the courage to confess and return to Him if we are living in sin. The Bible says there's no hierarchy for how bad your sin is. God judges all sin equally and forgives it completely. Do not be afraid to let the Lord show you the areas you need to ask for forgiveness, whether they feel big or small. In Luke 15, Jesus tells the famous parable of the lost or prodigal son. It's a story of a son who ran off with his inheritance and wasted it on wild living, on his own pleasure. And he disgraced his family and his father in the process. Well, at some point, things get so bad for the young man that he is ready to return home and confess his sin. We'll pick it up in verse 17. Jesus says, when he came to his senses, the young man said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your sin. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went. To his father. If you continue on, we see that his father saw him when he was a long way off. And in that, we know that the father had been on the lookout for him, eager for his son to return, ready to forgive and welcome him with open arms. Forgiveness was waiting for the son as soon as he recognized his sin and he was willing to repent and return to the father. And in the same way, forgiveness was waiting for David and is waiting for you and me if we will recognize our sin, confess, repent, and return to God. Restoration, forgiveness is waiting. It is ready if we will confess and return to God. What an incredible truth of the Bible and of our God. But it gets better for David and for us when we confess. Not only do we receive forgiveness, which is incredible, but we receive the promise of verses 6 and 7 which tells us of God's protective care. So our next point is, when we confess our sins, we receive God's protective care. David writes, Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Isn't that incredible? Before David confessed his sin, he was under the weight of God's heavy hand. But now that he has confessed, he is not only forgiven, but he is experiencing the protection, the shelter of God's hand. When you call out in faith to God, not only will he cover up your sins, but he will cover you. 
David says he will surround you with his protective care. When the, the waters rise, they will not reach you. For you have taken cover in God. When you are, He is your hiding place and He will protect you from trouble. He will surround you with songs of deliverance. David says, call to God while you may. Before the time of trouble comes, before the time of conviction goes away. When you take cover in God, you are surrounded by His protective care. In our sin, we face oppression. But when we confess, we are forgiven. When our relationship is restored with God, we receive His protective care. And his guiding hand through this life. Let's look quickly at verses 8 through 11. Where we see another promise of God over our lives when we confess. David says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding. But must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked. But the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad you righteous. Seeing all you who are upright in heart. So next point is when we confess our sins, we are surrounded by God's unfailing love. What an incredible promise that is in verse 10. The woes, the pains, the heartaches of the wicked are many. But those who trust in the Lord are surrounded by his unfailing love. Again, David felt the pain of a strained relationship. He felt the weight of unconfessed sin, but now he walks in the pleasure, the joy of God's unfailing love. If you are living in sin and unconfessed sin, David says, turn to God and experience his love, his forgiveness, as opposed to the woes of the wickedness. When you make God your hiding place, God surrounds you with unfailing love. He promises to teach you, to counsel you, to watch your way. He says, don't be stubborn like the meal or the horse. They need a bit and a bridle. He says, I don't want to discipline like you. Soften your heart. Be quick to confess, ready to repent, and willing to return. Trust in the Lord, and he will surround you with his unfailing love. What an amazing promise. When you take cover in God, he is your hiding place. And he surrounds you with the protection and love. And in this, David paints this word picture for us. Because so many of us live our lives like the meal, having to be pushed and disciplined by God to follow after him. David says, don't be like that, but instead, joyfully follow after God and experience his blessings. David says, don't run from God. Don't stray. Don't do things the hard way where he has to punish and redirect you back to him. But instead, repent, which literally means turn from your sin and follow after God. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe the horse and meal analogy misses you a little bit like it does me. And so here, I think less of a horse and meal, but I think more of teenagers and children. Have you ever had a child or a youth that wouldn't listen and were constantly feeling the pain of their decisions? I've done youth ministry in some capacity for 10 years or so. And without question, this is the most difficult element of it. There were so many times that I talked, I've talked with youth and we could all see the disastrous path they were on, but they wouldn't listen. You could preach till you were blue in the face, but it made no difference because they believed they knew what was best. And the reality is, in fairness, this is true of just as many adults as youth. But as a result, it's taken heartache, it's taken pain, it's taken punishment, it's taken jail to bring them back to God and to true repentance. David says, don't be like that. He says, instead, learn from me, repent and find your joy in the Lord. David says, learn without the heartaches, confess your sins and turn from it. Last thing. David says God's character, his 
forgiveness, his guidance, his protection, his unfailing love should lead to rejoicing. And so forgiveness in God leads to joy. David says, don't. He says, repent, come and confess. Don't be like the horse, the mule. Come and confess and experience the joy of his forgiveness. And if you were forgiven in Jesus, he says, then rejoice in him. Remember the blessedness of forgiveness. Remember the redemption from guilt. Remember the release from the hypocrisy and stress of double living. Remember the protection that God gives his people. Remember the guidance of the Lord. Find your joy in who you are in Him. Sing songs of your forgiveness. Read scripture about your new identity in Jesus. Celebrate your forgiveness and share that hope with others. And that forgiveness is available to all but found in Jesus alone. Jesus in John 14, 6 says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says He is the only way to heaven, the only way to forgiveness, but He waits with open arms ready to forgive. Jesus, like the Father, waits, ready to forgive any and all that will repent and return to Him, that will confess their sins and will repent and turn from their sins and follow after Him. And not only does He forgive, but He forgives completely, and He celebrates, and He makes you one of His children, a part of His family, completely forgiven. And He promises you eternal life with Him. Let's read the end of that parable real quick. It says, But while the son was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But The father doesn't condemn him, but he says to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they celebrated. So in a few moments, as we wrap up, we're going to do something that we don't normally do. Uh, But as I prepared for this sermon, I felt like it was something we needed to at least offer. And what I want to do is I want to give you some time and an opportunity to respond, to confess, and to pray. And for some of you here or online, that might mean turning to Jesus for the first time, confessing your sins, and making Him Lord of your life. Or for you, you may be a follower of Jesus, but you, like David, are living in sin or unconfessed sin, and you just need to give that to God. You need to confess it to Him today and receive His forgiveness. So Melinda, she's going to come, and she's going to come play for us. And she's just going to play a song or two for a few minutes. And as she does, I want to invite you in your seat. We also want to open up the front as a way to physically get out of your seat and to come and pray. There's nothing magical about the front There's nothing magical about these steps. They're covered in VBS decorations right now. But often when the Bible speaks of repentance, there's a physical aspect to it. Often the Old Testament, especially repentance and confession, was joined with the physical action of sackcloth and ashes. And I think still today, the physical response often deepens the response in our soul. It helps us to do something physical as a representation of what is happening in our hearts and coming forward and kneeling To surrender your sin can be that for you. If you're at home watching online, you can kneel at your couch. But today we want to give you the opportunity to physically come forward and pray if the Lord leads. In an act of response, come forward and confess your sins and surrender them to God. If you'd like to talk with someone, I'll be up here and would love to pray with you and for you. Or if you'd like to trust Jesus for the first time, it would be my privilege to talk with you. 
So as Melinda plays, I want to ask you to come as God leads. You can do that in your seat or you can come to trust Jesus for the first time to confess the sin that may be your life or maybe just to come and to pray. To come and pray about something that's going on in your life that is overwhelming you, that is leading you to fear or worry and to trust that God, trust that burden to God who is able to carry the weight. Whatever it is, I invite you to come forward and pray and meet with God. So I'm going to pray with us, pray for us. After I pray, Melinda's going to play and I just ask you to bow your head to come forward if you feel led, and to deal with God. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the promise and the truth of Psalm 32. Yeah, we thank you for this, the awareness that sin is a big deal. That it separates us from you, that it severs our relationship. And God, I pray that you would reveal those areas of sin in our life. That you would help us to know where where we are living in sin, Lord, and that you would give us the courage to not only recognize that, but to confess and give it over to you. God, pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, if they are separated from you for eternity by their sin, God, that they would repent and find their hope in Jesus alone. But God, we also thank you for the promise and the assurance of Psalm 32. We thank you that if we will confess if we will humble ourselves and turn to you, you are faithful to forgive completely. You are faithful to take the guilt and the shame of our sin. You are faithful to put us into, under your protective care. To surround us with your unfailing love. To fill us with your joy. So God, I pray that if there is anything in our lives that is separating us from that, that we would have the courage to confess today. The courage to find our joy in you alone. God, I pray if you're calling anyone to get up, to come forward, to, to physically give it over to you, Lord, that you would give them the courage to do so today. God, we love you. We praise you. In your name we pray. Amen.
There's nothing magical about the front steps, but if God is working in your life and he and you need someone to talk to or to pray with, uh, that would be my pleasure to do so uh, after service. If you'd like to come and talk with me, I'd love to pray for you. I'm going to pray for us once more. The worship team, they're going to come and lead us uh, in a final song uh, as we continue to, to respond. Again, Lord, we thank you so much uh, for the promise of Psalm 32, that if we confess, that if we repent, that if we turn to you, there is hope and there is life and there is complete forgiveness. And so, God, I pray that as we uh, go on, you would continue to work in our hearts, Lord, that you would continue to reveal to us areas that we need to turn over to you, Lord, and that you would give us the courage to confess and to repent. Lord, that you would help, help us to take heed of David's wisdom, to not be like the horse or the mule, but to joyfully confess and turn to you, knowing that our sins will be forgiven, that hope and forgiveness is available in you. So God, continue to work in our hearts uh, throughout the rest of this day and throughout this week. It's your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and celebrate God's uh, mercy in our life.